You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning. Be in uh, Genesis chapter 2. Turn there with me in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So, verse 3, God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Father, this morning, we do approach your word. And Father, we don't want to be quick to rush to it, forgetting who you are and forgetting who we are not. You are God over all, Lord. And we are your people, Lord. So may our words be ever so few. Lord, may you speak loud and clear, and may you have your way, Lord, in us. Lord, give us clean minds and give us pure hearts, Lord. Lord, prepare us to receive. We do pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mama sang us to sleep. But now we're, what is it? Yeah, they know it. I wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. We used to play pretend, give each other different names. We would build a rocket ship and then we'd fly it far away. Used to dream of outer space, but now they're laughing in our face saying, wake up, you need to make money. Very popular song right now by a band called 21 Pilots entitled Stressed Out. And you don't get a very, very popular song. I noticed the other day on YouTube it had 815 million hits. You don't get a song like that unless you're saying something that resonates with a whole lot of people. You got to wonder is it that man? never knew how to um, have contentment, be at peace, dare I say rest? Or is it just something we've long since forgotten? Uh, Maybe it's an ancient problem. If it's the first thing, I'm afraid I don't have anything novel for us to consider this morning. Uh, But if it's the second, if it's an ancient problem, then we're in luck because we're looking at ancient scripture. What does it mean 
for us as the human race to enter into a true Sabbath rest. What does it mean to enter the Sabbath rest? Back at verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So Genesis chapter two, verses one through three, it closes out the creation account. And what do we learn from the creation account? A lot of good things. It says that God created day and night and he called it good. God creates the heavens. They're good, he says. He separates dry land from the seas. It's good. He creates vegetation and plants and fruit bearing trees. He calls it good. God sets the sun and the moon and the stars in place for signs and seasons. And he says that these are good. Life forming the water, birds for the skies. God sees it as good. He creates livestock and beasts of the earth and he calls it good. Last, God makes man in his own image. And to man, God gives dominion over this good creation to subdue it, to cultivate it, to labor in it. It's a good thing to enjoy it, take pleasure in it. God sees it as good. And at the end of chapter one in verse 31, surprise, surprise, it says God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. It's very good. And picking up in chapter two, verse one, it says God finishes the good work. He does it all. There's nothing left to do. Everything that God set out to do in this good creation, he did it just right. Masterfully completed full breadth of the heavens and the earth. And after he finishes the good work, it says he rests from it. Now, God's not tired. Uh, God's not fatigued. Uh, He doesn't need a cat nap. Uh, This Hebrew word here, it means to just stop. Uh, It means to cease. It means to be an active. The prophet Isaiah would affirm it in chapter 40, verse 28. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So God's not resting because he needs it. Just as God has provided us with a good world in which to live, so also... God is providing us graciously with the rhythm and pattern of how to live and rest in that good world. Now, have you ever wondered why? Why did God take the time to create this good universe? Why did he do it? Was he bored? Was God lonely? No, as Matthew Henry points out in his commentary, God is eternally satisfied within the fellowship of the Trinity, always has been, always will be. So then why? Why this good physical universe? And if it's so good, why does God institute this refraining from working in it, in dealing with it, in the genesis of creation? A mandatory stop seems an odd thing at this point at the very beginning. Sabbath rest must be awfully important to him. Now notice, sin has not come into the world. It has not corrupted. It has not marred. It has not stained humanity. 
It has not brought chaos. It has not brought disorder into the physical created good world. Yet joining God in Sabbath rest is good and necessary here in paradise. So this refraining from, it's not chiefly instituted for physical rest, though we need that sometimes. Uh, It's not instituted as a detox from the poisons of labor and touching and dealing with the physical world. Remember, in a pre-sin world, these are good gifts. So if true Sabbath rest was to be had by sinless people in a sinless world, How much more difficult is it for you and I as sinful people in a sinful world to understand why we need Sabbath rest and how difficult will it be for us to enter into it? Understanding what it means to enter Sabbath rest, I want us to note two critical reasons that we need Sabbath rest. We need Sabbath rest, one, because it brings to our remembrance, God is glorious over his good creation. God is glorious over his good creation. The created world is just that. It's created. It's a means by which God has chosen to manifest, reveal, point to his own glory. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above, they proclaim his handiwork. And again in Revelation chapter 4 verse 11, it says, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. According to God's good pleasure, he's created. And he's so created that what he's fashioned, it brings him the glory to his name. The Ecclesiastes writer says it like this. I perceive that whatever God does, it endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear before him. And then all the way over in the New Testament in Romans, chapter 11, verse 36, Paul says it like this. For from him, through him, to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. God has created and done everything that he has done to put his glory on display. It's why God does anything at all. And to us as the human race, uniquely made in his image, he's blessed us with this, to live in, work with, work in, cultivate, subdue the good creation, enjoy it, take pleasure in it to the end. It wells up in us to glorify his name. It moves us to praise him for all that he's done. Even blessed us, equipped us with the necessary faculties of knowledge, wisdom, discernment, intellect, creativity, morality to carry out this role above all other creatures. What many things we as the human race have to give God glory for. What incredible things he has done. The trouble, the problem is this. I am a sinful man. Let me tell you something. We are a sinful people. We lack the desire Much more than that, the capacity to interact with God's good creation 
and all the elevated faculties we possess to the end, it moves in us to glorify him for all the great things he's done in us, for us, and around us. In the utter wickedness of our chosen depravity, we have done this evil thing. We have on the throne of our hearts ripped off the glorious God and in his place, we have put gladly the good creation. Nothing says it like Romans chapter one, verse 18. For the wrath of God was revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged. Here it is the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Friends, I need, you need, we need a Sabbath rest. We need to accept God's invitation to be alone with him, to dwell upon him, to meditate on him, to give him the glory, lest we think we were created to find purpose, to find satisfaction, to find true fulfillment in this good world. The things that our hands can do, the things that our hands can have, we were not created to find glory in these things. Not at all. We were created for this one thing and this one thing alone, this one thing by which we're satisfied in all things, this one thing by which we rightly see all things, this one thing for which the whole world was created, this one thing for which we were created. You better get it down. It's the glory and it's the renown of God. As good as the created world may be, it will never replace knowing the glorious God over it all. How inexpressibly kind is our God that he's given us this good created world and our dominion of it to glory in him, but he's called us beyond that to a deeper, more intimate fellowship, to know him and glory in him even more. How very interested God seems to be in bringing himself a limitless amount of glory and producing in his people a limitless amount of satisfaction and giving him that glory due his name. After returning from Persian exile, what do these formerly Sabbath profaning Israelites have to say for themselves? What do they say in their repentance? Nehemiah chapter nine, verse six. You are the Lord. You alone. You've made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, and the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you. There is an acute awareness in the Sabbath keeping man of just how great and glorious God is. It's why there's no more dignity in a lowly job than there is in running a business. I don't care if you clean a toilet for a living. There's dignity in that. You know why? Because it's the work God's given to your hands. It's something God's given to you. So through it, you can glorify him. And here's the problem. Here's the lie. 
well, if I just had that job, if I could do that thing for me, that salary, I'd finally be happy. No, you wouldn't. And if you did find such happiness, you would just be committing to sin on a bigger level because you're glorying in the thing that was only ever supposed to be there to point you to the glorious one over it all. Same thing goes for food. Now you correct me if I'm wrong, but wild animals obey their base instincts and rip things apart. You're not a wild animal. God's given you the capacity in everything to see how creative and great and beautiful he is. I don't care if you're eating a piece of chicken or cleaning your toilet. You mean I should glorify God if I'm eating chicken and cleaning my toilet? Don't do it at the same time. (laughs) But I think you'd be in sin if you didn't. Everything exists to bring God glory and then glory in him even more. Satisfaction for the man who glories in God. Entering the Sabbath rest. Back at verse 3 in Genesis 2. So God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God blesses it. He puts on the Sabbath a unique quality and feature the other days don't have. The Sabbath has a divine favor upon it. By God's divine choosing, the other days don't. It's the last of three things that God blesses in the creation account. He blesses the multiplication of creatures. He blesses the dominion and multiplication of man. And third, God blesses the Sabbath. It must be Important. It must be special to him. And it says that God makes it holy. Now, what does it mean for God to make something holy? Well, God set it apart to himself. He set it apart from being a common thing. God consecrated it. He sanctified it in a unique way to himself. The other days don't have. It's got a special favor upon it. It's got a special provision. It matters more than the other days matter to him. But not only is the Sabbath blessed and made holy to God, it's also a means by which God blesses and makes holy those who come into Sabbath rest with him. Second reason why we need a Sabbath rest reminds us God is faithful to provide for his own people. God is faithful to provide for his own people. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 31, verse 12. Exodus chapter 31, verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. And turn again to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Here's the account of Moses speaking to the people of it in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. 
He says, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work. You, or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, the sojourner who's within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. God says in the Exodus account, hey, the Sabbath, it's a sign between me and you and even your children that I sanctify you. Imagine the humility it should have induced in these people. The God of all creation, the God who predates creation, he's blessing them. He's setting them apart to himself. He's inviting them to come out of their sinful humanity and into regular holy rest with him. God has graciously invited them to come out of the sinful pattern of this world and enter a pattern of sinless life. In the Deuteronomy account, Moses told them about the Sabbath. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God said, hey, on a regular basis, this is what I want for you. In fact, I'll kill you if you don't do it. Okay. On a regular basis, I want you to remember I'm a God of provision for you. Here's what I want you to do on the Sabbath. I want you to think about your slaveholders. You remember how harsh life was? Remember how hateful they were, how they beat you, how they whipped you, they whipped your wife, they beat your family. Remember how you scrapped by? Remember how it was all bleak? You had no hope. You were in change. You remember that? You remember how hope was all but gone? You were nothing. You had nothing. You were nowhere. You remember when you were those people? And then, then, you remember how I stretched out my mighty arm and I, ooh, I saved you. Don't stop thinking about on a regular basis, I have pledged myself to you in all adversity. That's what God's saying. What an offering God has put before these people. And yet the dreadful response of the hearts of these people is found in their actions when Moses descends the mountain with the law of God. Stephen the martyr says it in Acts chapter 7 verse 38. Speaking of Moses, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai with our fathers. He received living oracles to give us. Our fathers refused to obey him. They thrust him aside and here it is in their hearts, they turned to Egypt. Saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us up out from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol. And they were rejoicing in the provision of God. The mighty hand of God that graciously saved them, though he had no requirement to. The God that had amply provided for them as they roamed around in the wilderness. The God who put up with all their whining and complaining and grumbling. 
the God who provided water from a rock and man from, that is what they were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Easy, easy and seemingly appropriate it would be for us on this side of history to roundly condemn their actions. It is shocking. It is mortifying to witness their blatant refusal to receive the rest and provision that this God has freely given to them. They could not desire anything less and to provide for their own selves, they could not want that anymore. They want no blessing except for what their own hand can produce, their own intellect, their own resource. They don't want God's weekly Sabbath. They don't want God's promised land flowing with milk and honey. That's because it's God's promise to them. They don't want God's promise. I want to live by my own eyes. I don't want to live by faith in your provision. What can my hands do about it? What can I see? What can I think? It's appalling. If we're honest this morning, though, I think we would have to admit, wouldn't we? We do the same thing all the time. Looking back at Egypt, falsely imagining our own labors, our own toils be enough to provide true contentment and true rest. Allowing our anxieties, our fears, our worries, our hurts to speak so much louder than the gracious, gracious word of God that has already promised a provision, that has already promised a rest no matter what. How prone we are to doubt God's provision that we cannot immediately have or immediately see and get it the way that we want. Thinking little or nothing of the eternally wise, good, strong God who has pledged himself to us no matter what. The flesh, it begs us, over-worry, over-rationalize, coerce, manipulate, do what you got to do to get done what you think you've got to get done. And we do it until the trustworthy word of God is irrelevant because in its place, we fashion the calf. We fashion the God who will make a way, so we think. God is elsewhere, so we think. But let me ask you something. Was that not the original sin? In the place of an eternal word of God that provided an eternal rest, we believed a devilish lie, and so it gave us an eternal unrest. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what trial you're facing. I don't know what seductive mirage you see when you look over your shoulder to Egypt. I don't know what you think you'll taste if you bite that forbidden fruit again. But if I could beg you this morning, close your eyes to Egypt and close your mouth to that fruit and in faith open your ears and hear the word of the Lord to you. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shell of death, I will fear no evil, none of it. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup it overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You sick this morning? Your finances upside down this morning? You got broken relationships? You got people you lost that you love. You're in a spiritual drought. You don't know why. 
Let me speak a word over you this morning and you receive it. The Lord is your shepherd and you shall not want. There's true provision. There's true rest. And we accept the Lord's invitation to enter his Sabbath rest. I remind you of Jesus on the boat, the disciples in the storm. Jesus, we're going to die. We're all going to die. Oh. What does Jesus do? He just speaks peace into their life, doesn't he? He just speaks his words and everything is as it should be. He's right there in the midst of what's happening and he calms it for them. He is there, their provision. What does he say after? Hey, fellas, fellas, where's your faith? Where's your faith? You may say to me, I've never created a golden calf, and I believe you. But I wonder if sometimes, in a lack of faith, you work one too many hours to the neglect of your own spiritual health, to the neglect of your family. If you're like me, you think it's your job to fix everything and fix everybody. I wonder if you've lost one too many hours of sleep. I wonder how you're going to fix it. Can I remind you that God is there in your worst trial? Can I remind you that God ordained that trial to come into your life? It isn't noble to overwork. It isn't noble to worry. It isn't noble to fret. It isn't noble to take matters into your own hands. It is, as Oswald Chambers says, in the presence of a trustworthy God. It's just rude. Are you neglecting God's offering of a true Sabbath rest? Doesn't mean provision comes the way you want or when you want. But you believe me, it comes, and when it comes God's way, it comes as it should come, and it will well up to an eternal, true rest. Entering the Sabbath rest. Entering the Sabbath rest. Turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things that come. Shadows. But the substance belongs to, is Christ. Substance even means body. It means living body. Can I remind you this morning? The Israelites, they never wanted God's Sabbath rest. In disbelief, they walked away, always profaning the Sabbath. The promised land, it didn't last. The law has passed away now. Adam and Eve walked away from rest in the garden. They're types. And they're pointing to a greater reality, a truer rest. Jesus Christ in his risen, glorified, living body walked out of the grave 
as living proof of what he accomplished according to the will of God. Jesus in his body took back what we lost in the garden. Jesus did the work in his body that we can never do for ourselves. Jesus in his perfect sinless body was nailed to the cross for all our sins, separating us from true rest with God. Jesus in his body bore our pride and our arrogance and our disbelief and our anxiety and our worries and our fears. Jesus in his body did away with the sin problem and defeated the serpent of old. Jesus in his body, Jesus himself, Jesus is the substance of true rest. It's in Christ then, brother, sister, that we glorify the God of all good creation. We know what it means to glory in God in Christ. In Christ, I know what it means to have true blessing, true provision as one of God's own. In Christ, I have a shepherd who will lead and guide me through all adversity. One who will never leave. One who will never forsake. One who will guide me safely to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One shepherd who the psalmist says will carry me in his arms forever. It is in Christ that we are being made new. To experience a new creation with God forever and ever. Where the rest with God will never end. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Only Jesus can do that. That's quite an offering to make to sinners such as you and I. If you place faith in Jesus this morning, let me say to you, there's a rest that belongs to you. There's an eternal rest that resides in your chest by the power of God's Spirit. You need not fret. You need not worry. Only joyously exalt in the accomplished work of Christ that by Him and in Him and through Him you are secure forever. How truly amazing is the grace of God that has appeared to offer salvation to all the wretched, all the poor, all the hopeless, all the helpless, all the exhausted, all the defeated, all the broken. Oh, that today you would by faith turn from your sin-marred self, turn from this sinful, restless world, throw yourself at the foot of the cross of Christ and freely receive the rest that God and His Son, Jesus Christ, offers you this morning. You say, it doesn't sound fair, does it? doesn't seem fair. Well, it's not fair. It's just grace. It's just grace. Grace is having all those good things of God I never should have possessed. It's being free of all those evil things that only ever belonged to me. I can't explain it. Sometimes I have a hard time embracing it. But friend, in Jesus Christ, it's yours. In Jesus Christ, it's mine. Fellow traveler, on our way home to a truer, better fatherland, There is this grace for us along the way, regardless of what adversity comes. There is rest. There is rest in Christ. And I implore us to share it with everyone we meet along the way. So we have to, with St. Augustine, resoundingly proclaim this. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. You have made us for yourself, And our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Do you rest in Christ this morning? Father, before you, 
all things are laid bare. All things are known. Lord, your word has penetrated us and it has shown us that we are sinful. Lord, that we're more than just prone to doubt. Lord, we often run. But God, in our sin, would you break us? Lord, do we have contrite, humble hearts this morning? Lord, to know that you're not calling us to do anything but rest in your goodness to rest in what you've done for us, to glory in Christ. Father, it is the desire of my heart that this church, that we could be full of people that have nothing to sing about but the grace of God. The grace has appeared to offer salvation to sinners. sing that good thing we know we don't have the capacity to reach out and take it but we believe that you didn't go 99% you went 100% Lord and we know by your spirit you're giving us the faith to believe so Lord help us believe help us trust help us walk in obedience to you help us let this world know that we're not of this world we're different we have a different homeland that's with you Increase our faith, increase our hope. Lord, this morning we dwell on the cross. Christ accomplished for us. Lord, you know every heart here this morning, you know where we are. All we can ask is that your spirit do the work, Lord, that needs to be done of repentance. Lord, that we would be drawn closer to you. We love you. It's in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.